They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the heavens for food, the flesh of your faithful to the beast of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. We have become a taunt to our neighbors, mocked and derided by those around us. How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your anger on the nations that do not know, know you, and on the kingdoms that do not call upon your name. For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his habitation. Do not remember against us our former inequities. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we were brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone, and, and atone for our sins, for your namesake. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Let the avenging of the outpoured blood of your servants be known among the nations before our eyes. Let the groans of the prisoners come before you. According to your great power, preserve those doomed to die. Return sevenfold into the lap of our neighbors the taunts with which they have taunted you, O Lord. But we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. If you would bow with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for you to change us by it. Help us see where we need to respond appropriately and where we've failed to. We ask for your wisdom and guidance this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Have you ever broken a rule or a law? Some of you are like, wait, hold on, this isn't confession. Or you've hurt someone and received a judgment. Maybe... You know, for some of you, it was like at home, whatever form of, you know, punishment was, you know, doled out. You say, oh, yeah, I remember this. Or maybe there's some specific ones where you're like, man, uh, that was a rough night uh, with my parents. Um, Maybe some of you have uh, had to pay a fine to someone for something that you have done or paid a little time, you know. I don't know. In this room, we could have all types of people uh, with all types of things um, that could have come at us. Judah, the southern kingdom. So if you've read much of the Bible, you know that uh, there was a northern and southern kingdom uh, in in Israel. uh, And now they're really the only ones left. They have uh, now faced total destruction. And they deserved it. That's what what he's going to say. It was deserved. Uh, what they received, God's judgment, was deserved. And so there was destruction of the city, the loss of countless lives, and um, they spent some time in captivity for their sins, like 70 years. And so it's like they would habitually broken faith, broken the covenant. God had laid before them. They habitually did that. 
And then he said, finally, like you're going to pay for this at some level. There's going to judgment's going to come. And uh, I told you I was going to do this. God even sent prophets along the way. It's almost like <clears throat> if you said uh, to your child, stop doing that. They did it. Next week, I told you, like, you're not going to do that. The next week you say, you know what? Like, we never really talked about this, but you do this again. This is what you're going to get. And let's say they had a good friend, which is nice to have, that said, hey, I think he meant business. That's what the prophets did. You know, God means business. He's not like, uh, he doesn't forget. He's not absent-minded God. He meant it. Like, you walk in his ways or you turn away. And if you turn away from him habitually, you're going to face judgment. And so they have. That's what happens here. They have and they are experiencing uh, justly God's punishment. And so with that, though, Asaph is going to be there and he's going to say, okay, God, we justly are facing your punishment, but these nations that are judging us, they're wicked and they need to be addressed uh, too. And ultimately, you know, we're your people. That's kind of what he'll do. So I think it's important just to say that. Now, there are two questions in the psalm that kind of come up. How long? Again, he's not saying, I don't deserve this. You know, like, you hear people say that in the, this culture, you know, it's like they don't deserve anything. You know, it's like, what, what are you talking about? You know, you made a decision, you get to uh, deal with the decision. You know, so he's saying, my only question is, is how long? And the other question is, why are you letting these people kind of get away with what they're doing? You know, and so those two things come to the surface. So the first part, 79, 1 through 4, I hope you have your Bibles open uh, to this, but I think it's important just to say, Asaph reports on the nations and what they have done and how Israel's become a reproach. That's kind of 1 through 4. And then the second part in 6 through 9, again, these are divided by this how long and why, but Asaph calls on God to judge the nations um, that do not call on his name. And, and he says to do this for his own glory. And then in the third part, verses really like 10b through 13, Asaph calls on God to avenge the blood of his servants by punishing these nations. And he promises that God's people will forever praise him. And so that's kind of what is taking place. I think it's important for you to see that. So we're going to look at kind of those three steps this morning. We're going to say the nations defiled Jerusalem. Uh, Asaph's going to call on God, judge them and forgive us. And then he's going to say, look, they are mocking us and you, and we will praise your name forever. So that's kind of the, the structure here. So let's look at this in verses 1 and 2. I just want you to see it. And, and th this, is, this is important. You ready? If you want to understand, understand where sin leads, this will help you. you. You want to know where sin will take you, this is kind of one of those places to, to look. This is where sin led them. This is where sin will lead you. And so he says, 
God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the heavens for food, the flesh of your faithful to the beast of the earth. So what is he saying? When the Babylonians came in, who was in charge? You're like, well, the Babylonians were in charge, and God was sitting there going, oh, no, what am I going to do? The Babylonians have come. I'm so scared, and I'm not in control of the universe anymore. Is that what happened? No. God had sent the prophets and said, I'm going to send a mighty nation to come into Jerusalem and to absolutely destroy it. That Really, it's, a, it's like one author said, like, uh, the devil is God's devil. And the Babylonians are God's Babylonians. And he is using them as an instrument of punishment for his people who have completely and continually rejected him. God owns it all. He is Lord over his creation. And so these people are coming in And God knows what's going on, but the psalmist is going to recount that to God. And what he's going to say is, look at what they are doing. Now, I just want you to think with me for a minute. When he says the inheritance, he says, they've come into your inheritance. The idea there is, remember, God said to Abraham, I'm going to make a people. We're going to give them a land and I'm going to bless them. People, land and blessing are a part of the promise. That's what it means to be in the inheritance, to experience that, uh, the inheritance. And so he says, they've come into the inheritance. They've come into the land. They have come into the land and wreaked havoc upon the land. And so if you remember just some of you, maybe from a history lesson, and you're thinking about it, you could think about it with me for a minute. Remember what happened in the Old Testament. There was a promise made to Abraham Promise repeated to Isaac, promise repeated to Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. Those 12 sons end up in Egypt. They spend 430 years of there, 400 of which they're in slavery. At the end of that 400-year period, uh, they're, they're crying out to God, deliver us, deliver us, deliver us. We have the exodus. So they exit Egypt and they enter into the promised land or on the way to the promised land. Their unbelief gets them 40 years hanging out in the wilderness. Joshua leads them into the promised land. They spend a season of time there. There's a period of judges, 300 to 350 years. And then the monarchy monarchy is established. And so you kind of have this false start with Saul. Then we have David and Solomon and the kingdoms united. So that's they're in the inheritance. They're in the place. And uh, this is a place you would think they'll be there forever. But what we find out is... uh, the northern kingdom, like when the kingdom splits after Solomon, the northern kingdom leaves God forever. And they are, they are separated from the promises of God because they're separated from the king and from the worship and from everything they are cut off from. They're not his people in the sense of those who are under David's reign and rule and that eternal promise that God made to him. They have walked away from all of those things, left forever. And then we come here and we say, okay, this inheritance, this southern kingdom, this, these people are uniquely God's people and they are with God's king and they are with 
God's kingdom, and they're all they're they're in this, but they keep doing wrong, and so God is going to punish them. And in His punishment, you think this is horrific. That's what you see. It is a horrific picture here. This scene is the city is in total ruins, the temple is totally destroyed, and the people are dying. You continue forward. You think about verse 2 and you say, the, what's happened is, is, and you'll see this in the revelation in the final judgment, but these people are experiencing God's discipline. And like I said, bodies are everywhere and there's death everywhere. Verse 3, they have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem and there was no one to bury them. The idea is it is so horrific that there are so many dead in Israel and in Jerusalem that there are not enough people to bury all the dead. And the beasts of the earth are coming in to eat. The blood is running like water through the streets. It's almost like it rained blood there and it's rushing through the streets. And one of the sad things in Israel, like when you think about that, the, the idea is, is uh, you know, again, in, 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 that hist- in the history, in their history, you know, to, to leave someone unburied was a great disgrace and shame. It was something that would never be done. They honored the body. They put it, uh, it, it they, they did what needed to be done in their tradition to bury those people. So it was a total massacre. Now what happens in verse 4 and 5, I want you to see, because again, you're taking yourself there and you're thinking, okay, I see what's happening. You're saying like, good night, this is God's people under God's judgment that he said like, if you continue, um, or you could say under his discipline, because it's not a final judgment, there's a hope at the end, but I think it's just important to see under God's discipline. And I think it's just maybe important for you to say to yourself, like, does God take sin seriously? You may not. You know? But does He? You know, like again, I was kind of joking earlier in our discussion about uh, parenting and that kind of thing, but like that I sometimes go like old school, like Baptist preacher on my boys, you know? And... uh but what I was saying is, like, there was an element when I grew up that, that there was a communication that sin was serious, that, that judgment was serious, that punishment was serious, that God would deal with the sins of people. There was a belief that there really was a heaven and hell, that sin really demanded justice, and that God must judge sin if He is just. There was a thought that God is holy. And a belief in that so much so that there were days where I thought you were so fearful of the wrath of God that it kept you like... There was a sobriety there. That is not wrong. I mean, it, it, that's not the only thing you teach about God. You need to teach all the things about God, all of His attributes. But the reality is, is that God is still the same today, yesterday, and forever. 
and, and he's still holy. And sin still must be punished. And his people who are his people, like they still face his discipline. God still disciplines his people. And we see this in a very powerful way here. And you're like, my goodness, like what is all going on here? We don't have time to go into every detail, but you understand it's clear here. And these people become a taunt to their neighbors. They're mocked and derided by those around us. How long, O Lord, Asaph asked, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? He is not saying, his appeal is not a self-righteous appeal. He is not sitting there as a, a Pharisee who says, I have not sinned like others. He is not saying that about the people. He is saying, God, what you say is true. Your judgments are just. That, that's what you see. He is not asking, why are you doing these things? He is saying, how long? Because he knows there's a promise. He knows there's a promise to these people. He knows that God will not be he will be true to his promise he knows that the promise as we say would be unilateral it was a promise that god said to the son or, or to the people of abraham to the people of david that line of people he's made a promise and it will stand the kingdom will not crumble ultimately it may look like it has but it will not so I think it's just important to say he is looking at all this stuff. He knows that God is in control. He knows that God is powerful enough to right the wrongs that they are suffering. He knows that, that sin will be punished, but he also knows that there's the promise of a future. And so when he goes to God, again, he is not saying, I don't deserve what we or we do not deserve what we're getting, but rather, how long will your anger Come down on us. That's what he's saying. And in this moment, you're grasping how bad sin is and what holiness demands. You're, you're seeing that. It is clear. So if you want to think about sin, what you need to say is, listen, if you choose sin, you choose death. If you choose sin, you're choosing death. The wages of sin is death. If you want to understand where sin leads you, walk into Jerusalem and see the blood pouring out. Walk into Jerusalem and see the birds sweeping down on dead human corpses. That is where sin leads. That's what you need to see. To repent is to choose life rather than death. To repent is to recognize your spiritual bankruptcy and to turn to God to save you. To repent is to agree with God that your sin demands that it must be punished and then in faith, you are looking to the cross of Christ saying, He was punished in my 
place. He died on a cross. The wrath of God was satisfied there. Sin demands that God, or God's holiness demands that sin will be punished. So, the nations are defiling Jerusalem, and they are doing so not because Jerusalem doesn't deserve it, <clears throat> but because they would not heed the instructions of God. But that does not mean the promise doesn't stand. And Asaph, in the midst of a bloody, horrific mess, is still holding fast to that. Verses 6 through 9, this is what he's going to do. He's going to say, God judge them for what they've done. Because what they've done is horrific. And forgive us. Because we're your people. That, that's his argument. Pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you and on the kingdoms that do not call upon your name. Listen, even though these people, his people, are being punished by God, they are facing God's discipline, he knows he's saying, listen, remember, these people, they hate you. They've rejected you. They know nothing about you. They don't care about you. They've never called upon your name. These are unbelieving pagans. He's saying, Lord, like these people don't believe in you. They've devoured Jacob and laid waste his habitation. Do not remember. Then he moves on and says, okay, so God, don't remember our, our former iniquities that are... Let, your compassion comes speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. What is he saying? We see our sin. We understand that it is just for you to discipline us in our sin. And now, O oh God, like, come to us in salvation. Save us. Punish the wicked who hate you and have nothing to do with you. Save your people. That, that's, that's what he is saying. He's a model of the response of faith. Of one who would choose life and hates death. Of one that is agreeing with God. Sin demands punishment. You are punishing us because we deserve it. And yet, we come to that place where we say, God, like we know what we have done. Please rescue us. So I think it's important to understand that. He's just saying, look, these people deserve your wrath. They hate you. We deserved your discipline. And yet we've come now in faith, trusting you to rescue us. Now, when he asked God, like it's, it's bold, he says, don't remember our sin. Hamilton says, only the omnipotence of God, like his power, could make it so that within the omniscience, his understanding, in his, the omniscience of God, he does not remember the sins of his people against them. He is saying like only God's power could make it such that God could remember your sins no more. And he's saying like God in your power do this. And we're going to talk about how he does that, but I think it's important to recognize that. 
Asaph wants God to make himself known as a merciful and compassionate God who can reconcile justice to mercy, who cannot remember his people's sins against them. And so he calls on God to make his name great in this way. He cries out not only for help, but for deliverance, salvation, and he asks God to cover their sins for the sake of his own name. He is asking for atonement to come. He's asking God to cover their sins. What can restore life to the dead? What what can cleanse like the 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 decay and the darkness and the taint, the tainted things of sin? Like what? How could that be that restoration could take place? How could you be like justice and mercy both take place in one's life? That, that's kind of at the heart of this. God, God is saying to those who hate death and choose life, they'll experience a salvation. So like I said, we'll come to that at the end, but I want you to think, in those ways. So we said, the nations defile Jerusalem. Asaph says, judge them and forgive us because of your mercy towards your people. And then he says, listen, they are mockers against you, God, and we will praise you. They will mock you and we will praise you. Verses 10 through 13, and we're kind of coming through this at the end. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Let the, the avenging of the outpoured blood of your servants be known among the nations before our eyes. Let the groans of the prisoners come before you. According to your great power, preserve those doomed to die. Return sevenfold into the lap of our neighbor the taunt with which they have taunted you, O Lord. But we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. Asaph is heartbroken of what, what he's seen. He knows that the Lord is rightly punishing them. He calls upon the Lord to do justice on the unrepentant, and he asks for forgiveness for those who have humbled themselves before him. And now he asks, why should they allow, be allowed to not only taunt us, but taunt you? We will not mock your name. We will praise it. And so that is kind of where we are in this moment. He is crying out. And he says, oh Lord, please, like there are people facing certain death, Lord, rescue them. They are doomed to die. Rescue them from their destruction. He, he is trusting God and His promises because remember, the Lord had said, you are my people, the sheep of my pasture. He is claiming, in a way, Psalm 23, where he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He's saying, Lord, you're our shepherd. You come and rescue your sheep. You know we are wayward. You know we move away. But the wolves have come. Like, you've got to destroy the wolves, Lord, and gather back your people, and we will praise you. And that's kind of the picture that you see here. Remember, 
we know last week that David was the great shepherd of the sheep. And we, of course, know that King Jesus is the shepherd of his sheep. And we are calling out in this way. The people, they're calling out for the great rescuer to rescue them. I think it's just important, a couple of things just to kind of note here too, is just that these neighbors who are reproaching them, they're also reproaching God. They are not ones who are seeking after God or have ever sought after Him. They have no need for God. They're asking, where is your God? And He's saying, rise up, God, for your name's sake, for your honor's sake. Rise up and address them. Now, as we kind of conclude, I want you to think about a few things today in this psalm. One is this. The wrath of God on people and land, seen in this first three verses of this psalm, anticipates the wrath that would fall on Christ at the cross. So, so when we think in terms of God's people, and we think of in, in terms of like, if you're looking at your life here today, and you're saying, how do we need to think about this if you are truly one who trusts, trusts in the Lord and you put your hope and trust in Him? What you see, when you see this wrath falling, you say, what this reminds me of is the cross. It drives me to the cross because I know that's where the wrath of God was, was poured out upon His people I mean, on his person, the the Lord Jesus Christ poured out upon him so that it would not be poured out upon us. That should drive you there. You should stop and say, the cross is really big in my eyes because I know that God must punish sin. And for me to be in good standing with him, he must punish, uh, someone must be punished for my sins. And so I'm driven to the cross of Christ. If you are here, kid, adult, whoever, you're thinking about the things of God, you stop and consider, what are you going to do with the fact that you have offended a holy God? That, that's a huge deal. Big question for you. You have offended a holy God, what, and we know that sin ultimately leads to death. How is your sin going to be dealt with? That's a big question for you. And what we're saying is this, the Scripture says, the wrath of God was poured out upon His Son for all who put their trust in Him. For His people. The sheep of His pasture. Secondly, I think it's, it, it's, it's important to say the reproach borne by God's people anticipates the one on whom all the reproach would fall, which is, again, the Lord Jesus Christ. You just keep coming back to that reality. Jesus like showed forth the glory of God when He was lifted up and exalted. And so when, when the taunts of the enemy are coming out against them and they're saying stuff like, uh, oh, he's, he's king? If He's the Lord, like why don't He call down uh, someone to deliver Him? Why don't He re- take Himself off the cross? They're mocking Him. Ultimately, His glory would come forth when He was resurrected. And so, what we would say here is we say, look, although He was struck down, God's wrath fell upon Him, we can know this, that He did not stay in the grave. He was resurrected, victorious over the grave. 
And when we see that, we say salvation really did come. And so for if you're here today again and you're saying like, what am I going to do with the judgment of God? I know I've sinned. I know what I've done against my parents, against my friends. I know the things that I've said. I know some of my past sins. I know what I've done in secret. How am I going to deal with my sin? Because it deserves death. How am I going to deal with that? I'm going to return to the cross and see that Jesus was mocked. He was crucified. He's buried. He faced the wrath of God for us so that we could be reconciled to him. And he was raised victorious over all sin uh, and death and hell and the grave. He was raised victorious so that we could say God has atoned for our sins through his son. Our sins now are not only covered, but we are cleansed of them. He has done that for us. When he says, look, Lord, remember our sins no more, Jesus dealt with all of our sins at the cross. So if you are here today outside of the people of God, you are living in rebellion against God, you're not walking with Him, you've not turned to Him, your sin deserves the punishment of God, the justice of God must fall on you unless you trust in the One who stood in your place. And so if you are here, again, not believing I would say, turn to Him in faith so that your sins can be atoned for, so that you can not face the wrath of God, so you can experience that eternal bliss of praising Him forever and ever. That's the hope of the Gospel for us, and that's what's found in this psalm. And so I just encourage you, when you're talking with your family, maybe you'll have lunch today or talk for a little bit, or maybe you'll discuss tonight in family worship things. You can go back to this psalm and say, hey, what does sin What does sin pay? It pays death. Is it horrific? More horrific than you ever could have known. Is there a way of escape for you? Is there some hope of redemption? Yeah, there was a promise. Who was the promise about? It was about one who would come and who would crush the deeds of Satan and crush the head of the serpent and bring restoration and renewal. And you can present the Gospel in that to your kids. And remind them there's hope for them and hope for us. So I I trust today that this today would just be one of those things to go back and say to ourselves, we need Him. We need Him afresh. We need His work on our behalf. We need His rescue. We need our sins atoned for. We need to stand in the sun. We need to know that if we are His sheep, that He has rescued us, and it's only by sheer mercy and grace that we can be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I ask for wisdom today to see it for my own heart, to believe it, to rest in you, to put our hope in you. Lord, when we think about the agony of the cross, the cries of Jesus there, what he faced for us, Pray we never take that lightly. Pray that we would embrace that as the only hope that we have in life. Pray, Lord, for those who are here today that may not know you, that may be outside of hope. Pray they would come to the Lord Jesus in humble faith, trusting him alone and his work on their behalf. In Christ's name.
Amen. If you would stand with me. Every week we take the Lord's Supper together.